0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
2: Connecting to the big show.
3: In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options.
4: It's amazing how many unintelligent people. They're all, all absolutely astonished of it. What is the matter with these
2: people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we
3: just talk? Call 818 Extra
2: WhatsApp 83 396 96 96.
3: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The lines are live.
3: Let's kickstart the conversation.
2: This is The Opinion Line with PJ
5: Coogan.
3: On Cork's 96fm.
5: You know, did you want so much for the the Cork? to progress and to make it through because, like, for Hagi to be the all-time great scorer as of yesterday and for him not to have an all medal in his pocket there's just no justice there you really would hope that eventually it'll happen for him, maybe, you never know you could have a miracle this year Good morning to you, 0818 96 96 96 The trial of Karen Harrington for the murder of Santina Colley. As you know, we've been covering it over the last few weeks. The jury was sent out Friday to begin considering its verdict. After about an hour and a half, the judge called them back in and sent them home for the weekend. They will resume their deliberations this morning at the Central Criminal Court, which is sitting in Cork. Our reporter, Maureen Twig, is there, will be in court, and should we have any news from the court, we will bring it to you straight away. So, if you're following that one, stay right here because we will know, and as soon as we know, you will know. Monday morning and over the weekend, uh, shock in the community of Churchfield as a man in his twenties was found with apparent gunshot wounds, rushed to hospital in the early hours of Saturday morning, around four o'clock. Now reports of a shooting at a residence on Churchfield Avenue. There was injuries not reported to be life threatening. A technical and forensics were done Saturday and the investigation still ongoing. So far, uh, reading as of yesterday, so far there have been no arrests, but certainly a lot of concern. Local councillor Tony Fitzgerald joins me. Tony, what's the problem? Good morning.
6: Uh, good morning, PJ. Um, this is a worrying development. Uh, you know, the Churchfield is a very settled area in the north side of the city, a great community, um, a lot of older people living there and, uh, you know, there's a lot of concern in relation to this incident. I, I do understand it's under a uh, guard investigation, so we'll have more details as the day develops. But, you know, just to support the community there um, and, again, call on, I suppose, the 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 new system of, uh, of, of how the Guardy operates. We've been used to a very... Uh, uh, close relationship mm. with the Gardaí, which we still have, but I think the new functional system where we have lost um, uh, the superintendent based in Gronabraha and in other districts right mm. up and down the country, mm. um, you know, I've never been a supporter of it um, as former chairman of the Joint Police, Co- Police Committee and been involved in crime prevention programmes for many, many years. Um, so I, th- I think it's time to review this. Um, we have excellent community guardy in the area um, and they work very hard um, and they do, you know, make contact with people. But uh, we, we cannot have this type of behaviour, you know, in, 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 in any community um and you know we need um support to be ensure that these yeah. these incidents uh do not occur again I
5: think a lot of people tony would have been surprised by that I mean there was always traditionally a super in gran and a super That's right. in mayfield the great con Cadigan, for example was in gran for years and 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 there were others in in mayfield and this new rearrangement mm. th- th- I think a lot of people are finding out about it for the first time.
6: Yeah, well, I suppose COVID uh, kind of took over uh, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of issues. We were diverted to kind of supporting communities, you know, as a result of COVID. And and it's important to say that the Guardi were very much involved in that and, uh, you know, did a great job. But uh, the community forums are coming back now shortly. Um, but it is I, I, I'm always of the belief that, you know, if you have Um, a superintendent in any district working closely with uh, the community, working with the the community policing, that you have a better overview of what's going on in the communities. Um, You know, uh, you're right, uh, we've had uh, uh, great superintendents uh, there, like uh, Con Cattigan, and mm. Tom Hayes, and uh, all of those people. And, uh, your, your your late father worked in Granagh Bar as well. Uh, worked well mm-hmm. as inspector there, and you know there was a very very close contact. But they were they were on top of issues like this, um, and I think we uh, it's time to revisit this new functional division. Um, and um, I am firmly of the view that. Uh, if 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 this if this system changed, we could address issues very quickly like this. Because T- there 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 is great activity going on, yeah. but uh, incidents like this cause fierce concern mm. for people in the area and, and and should be avoided.
5: Now that superintendent's situation, as I said, I, I think is news to a lot of people, Tony. But yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to uh, Pardon Carrington from the. Uh, gather the representative association and he gave me a figure uh, in the view of his association at any one time Cork City div- the divisions across Cork City are a hundred guards short that's a much bigger problem
6: it is and um, you know this is something that uh, I would be uh you know be concerned about um uh, it, it's also about p j how the system works in terms of of the rosters that are there with the guardy so that it's a shortage of gardi um and it is it is a kind of a, a kind of a revisiting of the rosters in the system mm. um um that that is that is weak on the ground um which cause gives gives concerns to instance mm. like this. So, so I is, I think, uh, it is
5: true. It is that It is. It is true now these days that there are times. Mm-hmm. And look, the criminal fraternity know this, Tony. There are times mm-hmm. of the day and night now where there just mm-hmm. aren't guards around.
6: Yeah, and you know that that's correct. And I've been highlighting that, and I've you know, received calls regularly from various parts of the district in Grana where. People are concerned, but it's it's a challenge for us. And certainly, I put my I put my shoulder to the wheel as I have mm-hmm. over many years in calling for and trying to uh, ensure that the Minister for Justice allocates the, the the adequate number of of Gardaí to Cork and in particular to areas where it needs uh, extra support. Uh, bearing in mind again that the Gardaí who are there are doing a great mm-hmm. job but we, yeah. we just don't have enough. We enough. don't have enough. Of enough. Don't have no, enough. Nobody's questioning yeah. that, but Tony,
5: with mm. all due respect, you and other councillors like you can, can stand on your own rooftop and howl at the moon all night for more mm. guards unless mm. Helen McIntyre is listening or unless Drew Harris is prepared to do the allocation. It ain't going to
7: happen.
6: Well, we 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 have over the years made huge strides in terms of crime prevention. You know, it's not, it's not the the the. Oh the, no, but the, the boots on the is.
5: ground, crime prevention is one thing, yeah. but boots on the ground is yeah. what shores that up.
6: Yeah, but but crime, boots on the ground will 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 prevent crime, um, and will 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 address the issues because if the guardy are, are on the ground. Then they see the issues that are evolving mm. with antisocial social behaviour in communities. So that that model yeah. of, of community guardy and the juvenile liaison scheme is is important, yeah. and we need to we, we need that on the ground. Uh, and I certainly will, um, you know, be at the at the joint policing committee. Um, you know, we have uh, uh, Chief Superintendent Tom Myers, who was a Northside man himself. We, we'll, you know, we'll be raising this issue at the Joint Police yeah. Committee, and to follow that through to government departments. And I'll certainly be—I'll uh, be making my voice known okay. to the Minister for Justice on this issue.
5: Somebody's saying here on, on the phone. Look, they're all driving around in cars. It's not the same. You need people on the beat, which is true. I mean, there was a time, yeah, Tony, and look, there was—you know—there was a time when you couldn't walk across any suburb. Of the city, or oh. you wouldn't see a guard just wandering around looking like he or she were taking in the morning air but actually keeping an eye. That's good. Yeah, yeah. There's not
6: yeah, enough of that. Is, now. It is, I suppose, and there's issues for health and safety for the guard themselves and, uh, you know, them going out to work in a safe environment. Um, um, but again, the issue is is prevention. Um, and um, my view is that if we have those Gardaí on the ground uh, in their multitude in all of the areas, then I think they will see the potential of crime in the community uh, and will prevent it. And we could we could um, prevent issues such as like such as issues like this that happened over the weekend. And here's hoping everything works out well and
5: that no one well, that that person who was injured basically, uh, Full and swift recovery. Tony, thank you. That's Councillor Tony Fitzgerald of Fianna Fall. We know Cork doesn't have enough guards. We know that. And the guards on the ground are the most frustrated of all. There's not enough of them. And I don't know when was the last time you, in your own neighbourhood, I don't care where you are, from Ferenry to to Blarney, To Douglas, to Turner's Cross, to Granibraher, to wherever you are. When was the last time you were walking around, going to the shop or strolling with the dog, and you saw a yard just chewing the fat, wandering around, talking to people, just on the beat? When was the last time you saw that? When was the last time you actually saw that? Middle of the day, just a guard strolling around, keeping an eye. It's a while since I saw it for certain. 0818 96 96 96. Thank you. Tony, we got this email in over the weekend. I wasn't on this particular uh, bus, thankfully, but it's on my route that I take all the time. I was on a, a 220 bus. There was dog poo oh god, all over a large proportion of the lower deck. People were sidestepping it to try and avoid getting it stuck on them sho- on their shoes, but someone had a big buggy with a small child, and it was impossible. I can't believe public transport standards have dipped so low. Could you please rage raise the scourge of dog poo on footpaths seemingly everywhere? People were so precious about COVID germ spreading, but think nothing of the risk to small children's eyesight from their dog. Yeah, dog poo is is a huge problem, a huge problem. We take our dogs out now, where the missus takes them out most of the time, and they have bags and they have the whole thing. But you'd see mounds of it, I and mean, you wonder: are some people are some people walking prize bulls around with the amount of poo on on some of the some of the sidewalks, as it were? Yeah, I, this is horrible. Um, got an email as well. Could we uh, could we announce over the weekend that chasing and harassing birds at the lock? is not permitted. The birds have young with them at this time of year, and they're terrified. I tried to contact someone in the City Council, but to no avail. It's heartbreaking to see what's going on. This is not new. This happens every spring. Middle of May, every year, we get complaints like this. Because the birds, and the is a bird sanctuary, but the birds have nests, and the nests have young and, you know yourself, babies and little birds learning the way of the world, and garbage sheds, stones at him, and bottles, and else they can pelt. No one does anything about it. Why? Because there's no guard wandering around keeping an eye of a morning. And they know it. It's all linked 0818 96, 96 96 I've been talking to Mary Kate Smith about a very common problem. You move to Cork, and you want to get a GP... And you can't. Unless you hear that next. 0818 96, 96, 96
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie
2: down, let's
3: get We're back to the music.
2: The Courts 96 FM Music Panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96fm.ie now. 96fm.ie now. Just like
3: this take the 10 minute survey and you could win a 100 euro just eat voucher the
2: power to pick what we play pick what we play let's get down, let's get down the business
3: join the Cork's 96FM music panel, find the link on Instagram Facebook and Twitter
2: or see 96FM.ie Cork's
5: 96FM Mary Kate you went on Twitter uh, looking for a GP to see you um, how long have you been in Cork now?
8: So I've been in Cork about three to four months, and um, I I think you know that day honestly I was really at the end of my tether because I had been just walking around traipsing through the city um, after you know checking my local GPs going to um, different suburbs you know ringing people um, and I I had had an experience where they wouldn't even let me in the door and. I eventually someone was coming out and I sort of went in and I just, you know, spoke to the secretary and she, she just immediately said, no, absolutely not. Um, you know, we're not taking anyone on. And I said, you know, is there anything you can recommend me to do? And and she just sort of abruptly said, you need to leave. Um, I have work to do, you know, um, and I just burst out crying and I, I just walked down and, <clears throat> um, I was just like sitting on, like, you know, one of the little boxes outside, just like crying and, you know, texting my sister and just like feeling absolutely desperate because I've several um, sort of medical issues that mm. really, really need maintenance mm-hmm. um, and they need to be monitored. And, you know, it's just not sustainable for me to. I've, I'm going to a consultant in Dublin. Um, And I'm going to my local GP in Waterford. Um, um, But, you know, I live here and my life is here now. And, you know, I just I, I really want to be able to go to a doctor when I am ill and when I do have issues and get those things like I need my blood checked every single month. Um, And, you know, that's it's it's I'm just finding it very distressing and very stressful, you know.
5: Yeah. And you said on on your social post that you don't want to go into the details. And I, I won't ask you to unless you want to. But you're saying you whatever your problems are, you need your bloods taken once a month just to keep you on an even keel, as it were.
8: Honestly, yeah. The reason I don't go into it is because I I did um, bring it up before in a job, and I was I felt I was stigmatized, and definitely you know people viewed me in a different light. So that's why I don't really bring up the illnesses. But okay. um, so one of the conditions that I have requires me to be on like a lot of very heavy medication, and if that's not um, like if that goes over even point one percent of what it's supposed to be, in it will actually um, be toxic in my liver. Um, so I need to get that checked, you know, every single month and just check my bloods and check that my liver isn't reaching a, a toxic point because it can have, like, serious um, repercussions, you know. Yeah.
5: And are you presently, for want of a better expression, commuting up and down to Waterford to get that checked?
8: Yeah, I am yeah so I'm driving up and down yeah whenever I need that done.
5: Mm. And your doctor in Waterford have they been any assistance in trying to refer you forward? I mean would do would they have something like a letter of referral? That you like?
8: Um she certainly yeah she referred me to um consultant down here but you know I've just heard nothing. Um so that that's more for the consultant part of it but not a GP.
5: Yeah. So what what you're looking for is a GP to see you talk to you have a look at your records I guess and, and just agree, agree to be your Cork GP as it were
8: yeah and like you know I have um, my sister as well like she was um, she actually has cancer and it was found at quite um, a late stage and um, unfortunately if she had got that diagnosed a bit earlier you know, she would have. Um, she wouldn't be at stage four cancer now. So, mm. I'm very conscious of you know getting things like that checked and just um, monitoring things because I know how serious that can be when you know it's left to a certain point and things aren't monitored.
5: It's worrying, I guess. And as well as that, I suppose if something. Flares up on you if any one of your conditions, and I don't know whether they are the kind of thing that can flare up and cause trouble at 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 short notice. Is Waterford's a long way away.
8: Yeah, well, like <clears throat> one of the things, uh, like I don't mind saying this, that I have um, alopecia, and okay. um, so I lost all my hair a couple of years ago, and um, I'm currently am um, with a consultant in Dublin, and you know I'm just on like. Um, trying different medications and things like that but you know you you really do need to be you know the the doctors need to be monitoring like what how's that interacting with my other medications Mm -hmm. and um, you know they need to be kind of like on top of that all the time and my doctor you know in Dublin is absolutely incredible but you know it is as you said like if anything did flare up or like I'm trying out a new medication now like I remember a while back I tried a medication and I was actually quite sick on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just like had to go to like the the out of hours doctor, you know, the south doc, Mm -hmm. or like I've gone to like the emergency room before as well because, um, and I've actually like walked away because I've been there like eight hours and just haven't been seen. And um, yeah, so like they, they are things that can flare up and there are loads of different combinations. Like if you read... The, the list of things they have to tell you before you go on some of these like you wouldn't you mm-hmm. nearly wouldn't go on them but <laughs> like even my doctor said to me like if, even if you're getting like a Motilium in the pharmacy the pharmacist is like oh you know that could potentially interact with that medication and yeah so there's so yeah. many factors to consider yeah. you,
5: you also need a pharmacy that, that, that understands all your meds and all the contra intrications of your meds Have you managed to find a local pharmacy?
8: Yeah, I um I signed up with um the Dillon's Cross pharmacy and they're brilliant so far. Um they're really, really on top of things and, and like they tell you and communicate with you exactly what, how long things are going to be and you know she mm. said to me oh, we don't have to um, we don't have that we have to order that in and that's going to be a certain and when, you know they tell you like a certain amount of days it's going to be and then it is that, that amount of yeah. days so yeah. you know that's a really good communication system
5: you're, you're only around the corner from the radio station so so we know, we know the neighbourhood very well
9: yeah. yeah
5: Were you surprised I mean you said you were in Waterford and I think you told me you came to Cork to In with your partner. Were you surprised coming to a big city like Cork that it would be so hard to find a GP to take you on?
8: Yeah, like I was really surprised. Um, I you know, I just I just didn't think it was going to be that hard. And like, you know, I'd heard of like, you know, just people having like positive experiences with doctors and things down here, and it's just not something that was really on my radar. Like I I knew that like it was bad but I didn't know how bad it was and like when I put up that post on Twitter like so many people got in touch with me like my friend um got in touch and said like he his 98 year old mother's um doctor uh passed away and she can't get a new doctor and you know she's frail and she's ill and Mm -hmm. um you know she's she has a lot of things that that need to be kind of monitored as yeah. well, you know, so like that, those kind of stories would really scare you, like I've a lovely Ukrainian friend as well and she was saying to me last night, you know, she really needs to, she's having a lot of um s- physical symptoms since she moved to Ireland and, you know, she doesn't know if they're related to, is it related to like what she's gone through or is it yeah. actually something, you know, physical and, you know, there's that as well, you know.
5: It's something we take for granted I think those of us who have a GP and in my own case, having had a GP for several years, uh, it's it's something I think we take for granted. We don't realize how hard it must be if you don't have, a, you know, I'll ring my doctor, but I don't have a doctor,
8: you know. Yeah. And like I see it with like, especially with older people, like my dad is, is 85 and like, you know, he can ring his doctor when, you know, he, he has something acute that happens or, you know, there's always going to be things cropping up for people. And, you know, it's like a safety net. Like you always know that you have that there and having that rapport and having the relationship with your doctor, I think is like, it's almost like just having the trust and having like the safety of that. And then when you don't have that, like, of course, yes, I do have a doctor in Watford, but it is a two-hour drive and if I am very sick, yeah. you know, what do I do? And, like, I'm living here now, you know, my whole life is here now. I'm starting a job um, in a couple of weeks' time here. And, yeah, so it's, it, it is like it's like a safety net, I suppose.
5: Well, I'm not going to be a politician and I'm not going to make a promise that I can't keep. But but I will tell you this, Mary-Kate, there were people listening to the programme who will know of doctors we have a very good relationship with a number of different doctors on this program, so between our Bush Telegraph, surely, someone, <laughs> sure, surely someone will at least offer to meet you and, oh, and look at your records. We'll see. I
8: hope so. We'll I see. hope so because I honestly I've been like gnashing my teeth over this. I, I just I broke down last week. I really did. Like I just roared my eyes out, and I just thought, oh my god. Like, why is this so hard? You know.
5: As they say, let us see what is out there, and you mind yourself, and and thank you for talking to me today.
8: Thank you, PJ. Appreciate it.
5: That's Mary Kate. While I spoke to Mary Kate over the weekend, while that interview was running, uh, I have been contacted by none other than the great Doctor Nick Flint himself, um, and he will organise for Mary Kate to be seen. At one of the My Cork GP clinics, so we're going to put them in touch off air and see what can be done. Um, few people saying, "Look, if she has a partner, for example, Ashling, if she has a partner and they live with her, she should be able to join the partner's GP." It is hard to get one. My old GP was way too busy; I could never get in, and when you did, you were nearly ran out of your appointment. I swapped to my husband's GP office—best choice I ever made. And Mrs. Zuflora, love that name. Uh, nothing new. I have a few friends who moved back to this area. No hope of getting a doctor. It's a disgrace. There is a tremendous shortage of GPs in the system. Talking to Mike Thompson last week about it, particularly with regard to medical cards and the whole lot. Is it the chronic shortage of of GPs? But just got confirmation there um, from uh, Nicklin that at some someone will put them in touch off the air. And my Cork GP dot will make sure that she gets to a clinic at some point uh, very soon so she can get on their books or get looked at at least All right. 0818 96, 96, 96 nice to be able to help a listener when we can
2: Can we just talk the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at corkcitymarathon.ie. The two
2: grand minute. Listen to play at 740 and 840 every day. Answer ten questions to claim all that cash.
3: Stacking up the cash, cash, cash. The two grand minute on
2: Casey and Ross in the morning. Courts ninety six FM.
5: Now the three coalition leaders, Michal, Leo, and Amon, will have their regular meeting today. They meet every Monday, either online or in person, and they meet to discuss what's coming up at cabinet tomorrow. And one of the things that's coming up is the final sign-off on the new National Maternity Hospital, which, as you know, we've been trying in the last week in particular to get to the bottom of all of the different questions surrounding the development of the new National Maternity Hospital. And I spoke at length the other morning to uh, Dr. Peter Boylan, former master of the hospital, and his view on that was, look, there's a whole bunch of paperwork here that we have not seen paperwork between the St. Vincent's Hospital Group and the Vatican which involved communication with the papal nuncio and all of that. We haven't seen that paperwork. It's locked away somewhere. we have been told we don't need to see it, but Dr. Boylan doesn't trust that and says we need to see it. Let's at least read it and see what's in it before we sign off on the thing. And he's also saying, look, this is not public ownership, this is a lease this is a private business being effectively a hospital being built by the state to be run by a private business and he's unhappy and a lot of people are unhappy about that element of the deal no one argues, nobody argues that we don't need this hospital we absolutely do and as soon as possible. But I want to get some of the answers from the other side and Colin Bork TD was on with me late last week, but uh, I want to talk to Professor Mary Higgins at the National Maternity Hospital. Professor Higgins, you are in favour of the move and in favour of everything being signed off over the next day or two. Uh, As as far as I know, you are anyway 100% in favour of it. Are you? Good morning.
10: Good morning and good morning to all your listeners. Um, I, I want to say, PJ, I have to say, as a culture working in Dublin... I find it very satisfying to say to your listeners in Cork and Kerry and everywhere that this is the one time that Dublin wants what Cork already has. And I worked as a doctor in the South Infirmary in the Vic 21 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was when the Aranville and Finbars were still the maternity units. And I think anybody who attended there would know that there were amazing people working there, fantastic teams within an old old building and now that we've got COMH so the Cork University Maternity Hospital that's out in Wilton situated right beside Cork University Hospital itself people can see the difference and anyone who's maybe had a birth or have had their children and seen their grandchildren being born in CMH will see the difference and see why we would like to move as you say I don't think anyone's disagreeing with mm. that
5: but it's a public hospital on public land run by the public health system different Different
10: beast. and just, But that's not to say that voluntary hospitals aren't, haven't got a role to play, and voluntary hospitals have done an awful lot of good for the state. And if we were going to make Olive Street and Vincent's entirely public, it would be a cost of a huge amount of money and for not huge benefits. So the argument that people have is make it public so we can guarantee particular services. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to get down to the crux of it, what people are worried about are essentially termination of pregnancy services, something that I, amongst other people um, and many thousands of people advocated strongly for in the 2018 referendum. And we advocated because mm-hmm. it was the right thing for women. And families and people. Mm. And there would be other services too, to,
5: to be us. fair, Professor.
10: There would be other Absol- services. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure, listen, like it's a small part of our work, but it seems to be the one that people are really incensed about that they want to protect. And it seems to be the one that people are worried that with this this concern about Catholic influence, that that will be the one that will be dropped. Or that um, transgender care, so gender-affirming surgery, mm-hmm. would be dropped or that fertility care would be dropped. And that's what people are worried about. And we can say absolutely unequivocally that we have no concerns about that at all mm. for any of the clinicians. That's how the can you say that, Professor Higgins,
5: how can you say that when there is a box, and I'm using it as a figurative term, there is a box of paperwork that nobody has seen between the Vatican involving communication with the Papal Nuncio and the St. Vincent's Hospital Group. And yes, the nuns may be gone, and that's fine, but the Vatican was consulted here. We don't know what's in the that nuns, box. We don't know what's in and that And I
10: that. don't, do you know what? I don't, do we need to know what's in yes, that I think box? We I do. can tell you. Uh, no, I disagree entirely. I, as a clinician working in the hospital, have never felt the effect of the nuns, have never felt the effect of the Vatican. Never, not a single time and I've worked between Hollis Street and Vincent's. Mm. And I come out to Vincent's and I see people in intensive care. I've performed germinations out there. We have looked after people in all sorts of issues. I've never had an issue with it. Mm. And if yet Dr. Boylan said he spent forty else.
5: years to defend it off.
10: Yes, but you know Dr. Boylan is retired now and he's not working anymore. So his concerns are for his concerns, but they're not shared by the clinicians working in the hospital. They're not shared by the midwives. All the midwives the directors of midwifery in every unit in the in the country have said this needs to happen, and they don't have concerns that are being raised by a, sm- by a small proportion of people. And there is a huge amount of pain there. There is a huge amount of pain for what's happened with the Catholic Church. Of course. But I would actually argue that this is bringing religion into an area that we never saw religion before.
5: Mm. See, and that's there's something- a murky history there, Professor, and, and people are very mindful of that murky history and, and they absolutely. don't want anything to do with the slightest possibility that it could rear its ugly head again.
10: And isn't that why it's absolutely wonderful that Vincent's is now a secular hospital and the nuns are gone and Hollis Street will be a secular hospital when we go. At the moment we actually have, our, the chair of our board is the Archbishop of Dublin. That will be gone when we move out and the Vincent's and the, and the Hollis Street DAC, the, the board under which we work, the, the, the um, constitution under which we work will be a secular constitution. And that gives us even more protection. Right. So even though as a clinician, I'm saying it has never been an issue for me, not once, it's not an issue for the nurses, it's not midwives, right. for the midwives, the medical scientists, for anybody, that gives further protection. And also that we have to provide the service. It's literally written into this that we have to provide these services.
5: What would you prefer Amongst yourself? Would else. you prefer state ownership or would you prefer the situation as presents itself?
10: I don't think we need to have state ownership to That's guarantee that we're, this is going to Which be. Which would you prefer? No no I'm going to say to you I don't think we need to have state ownership and I think this is actually leading people in the wrong direction because again if we go back to the most controversial thing which is termination of pregnancy mm-hmm. that is not provided in HSE in all the HSE hospitals the voluntary hospitals and CUMH were the first people to are providing the care the HSE hospitals there's a lot there's several of them that still aren't providing full care now they're getting better they're coming along there's an extra four hospitals coming along mm-hmm. but it is a men- no more. and it's wrong to say to people that it's making this public will guarantee it is absolutely the wrong thing mm. to say. What? And I really find it very annoying to say that the, there's going to be a Catholic influence when I have never seen it but in all my years of working. Why,
5: why, why do you, or do you, have you ever asked yourself the question as to why the religious order, and I guess we accept the nuns are no longer walking the corridors, but the religious order had to transfer and and do this deal why didn't they just gift it why not just gift it over and say we're done we're out of here why, why a complicated
10: deal? Uh, why give, gift the land to yeah. this? Now, again, I'm not a solicitor and I'm not a property expert. I'm on this as a clinician. Sure, sure, sure. But my understanding is that the, so when you look at the map, and I don't know if you've seen the map um, of Vincent's, where Hollis Street is going to be, it's right in the middle of the area of the land. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be pipes and there's going to be service work, works and there's going to be services that are going to be shared with it. So, for instance, the land we are going to be moving to is not empty at the moment. There was a dermatology clinic there. There was the old pharmacy there. They were moved out for enabling works. And hopefully, hopefully, if when I, fingers crossed that tomorrow will work. That Hopefully, then we will move onto that land, which means that we have discommoded people. So we will be giving services back to Vincent. So it's going to be shared land. And it's collegial relationship, just like we have at the moment. Yeah. We have very, I mean, yesterday I was talking to colleagues of mine. And we're going to be presenting today um, to the health committee, colleagues from Vincent's, people I've worked with for years and years and years, that we have shared um, shared conversations, we've shared patient care together. And that is the kind of collegial conversations that we wish to continue. Yeah,
5: Yeah. you've no concerns at all then about the nature of the deal.
10: (laughs) Genuinely. And that's why. And we had concerns over the years. We have been everything that people have been hearing about for the last while. We've been going through those as well. So we very much wanted to have our own ring fenced area that if we had wards that were dedicated for women's health, they would be kept to be dedicated for women's health. That If there was a trolley crisis, that we wouldn't be expected to use up our beds for people who were sick. That we could keep doing gynaecology care because, as you know, and I'm sure you've said it before, PJ, on your the waiting list for gynaecology yeah. women's health is deplorable, isn't it? It is not it So we want to keep operating. We want to be able to provide outpatient care. We want to be able to provide the most up to date care. We want to have a robot like CUMH have. Mm-hmm. We want to be as good as CUMH. Right? We want. I'm telling you, Dublin wants what Cork already yeah. has. Mm,
5: yeah. One would hope that. The clinicians, and I know there's 51 or 52 clinicians have all said, look, let's make this happen. And I read an interview with your master there, uh, Professor Shane Higgins, uh, in The Independent a few days ago. And and he said there are a lot of myths out there at the moment. One would hope that we wouldn't be in a situation, Professor, that maybe in five or ten years' time, we wouldn't be sitting down going, Christ, what did we do in 2022?
10: What did we do? No, and that's the thing, isn't it? That we, First of all, we can't look into the future. If we had thought five years ago about the pandemic, we wouldn't have believed it, would we? Okay. So we can't, can't, we can't look at everything, but as much as we can control it, we have tried to future-proof that. And that includes things like the other area that people had of concern was the clinically appropriate services. Yes. We would argue, and people are worried, well, that means that someone can interpret that and would we'll have legal cases. That's not how we interpret it at all. We're saying clinically appropriate for women's health, for babies' health, for transgender people's help, health, health, we're arguing that it's also future-proofing. That there might be things I'm doing at the moment that I'm providing care mm-hmm. that will be unacceptable in 20 years' time. There might be procedures that we don't even know about that might make it much easier. Yeah. Like so, for example, procedures based on genetic
5: genetic genetic alterations. You
10: know, G- absolutely, or simple things like you know, if someone had heavy periods. 30 years ago, they ended up having hysterectomy, which is a huge operation with, mo- with a lot of morbidity, taking time off work, recovering and all the rest. Nowadays, if you've got heavy periods, you have a marina coil, you'll have an ablation. You're talking about, you know, a simple procedure down with your GP. Um, I believe you were talk- someone was talking about access to GPs earlier. Um, so a simple procedure down to your GP or coming in for a day case again, back to work in a couple of days' time. You know, that's completely different. We wouldn't mm. have believed it. We heard about these when we were medical students in the 1990s and we are kind of going, ah, this is, this is amazing. And now it's part of our care. So this is future-proofing care so we could be a modern uh, modern hospital just like CUMH. Okay.
5: We will see. I, I think the, the political... Move is behind ratifying it all today and and tomorrow. But we shall see what happens. Professor Mary Higgins from the National Maternity Hospital, thank you very much for being with us on the opinion line. We've given you as best we can the two sides here. We've given you, to the best of our understanding, the two sides here. And it's still kind of down to you to make up your own mind. I got to say, personally speaking, purely personal... I'm worried about what might be in a box of paperwork that I can't see. I am worried about that. But then again, people who are far better educated and far longer around the and, and far more close to the situation than I are saying, no, that's okay. We're we're not worried. We shall see. We'll come back to that maternity hospital story if you have any other thoughts. Also, there was a story on The Sun this morning, front page of The Sun, about Ireland's codeine addiction problem. We'll be getting to that also in the next hour. But I want to go to the new Citizens' Assembly on biodiversity loss, which had its first meeting in Dublin Castle over the weekend. Now, the chair is Dr. Even Nihulawan nee and there's 99 randomly selected citizens on this assembly and they'll be working for the next six months. Now Alana Rin uh, you are a member of a number of different activist groups and you as a young person Alana, you will be monitoring um, what comes out of this citizens assembly. I guess it sets a precedent though doesn't it? Though at least we're having a national conversation about biodiversity. Good morning.
11: Morning, yeah. I mean it definitely does. I think Ireland was I think the second country globally to declare um a biodiversity emergency in twenty nineteen and it's kinda hard to believe now, but that's that's three years ago. And now this like um Citizens Assembly on Biodiversity Loss, it's the first in the world that we we know of really. Mm. And it's it, it definitely sets a really important precedent. And I think a lot of eyes are on it now around Europe and around the world and definitely in Ireland to kind of see how, how it pans out. Ireland's definitely been a leader for citizens' assemblies and we, we're all watching it. Yeah,
5: how, is it, how important is it that, for example, it looks at things like farming and the rural aspects of biodiversity?
11: Really important. And I think like I'm farming at home and I know there's four farming members on the actual citizens' assembly. And I think... You know, with the crisis we're facing in climate, we really can't afford to become divided between urban and rural or between farmers and activists. And it's, it's really important now that we all unite. And a huge part of that is farmers and people from the rural community feeling like their voices are being heard and their concerns are being listened to.
5: Because farmers have expressed the fear, Elena, that they will be driven out of business by as they call it, the Green Agenda, and you'd hope that obviously that's not the case. We just all need to work together for the future. Now, there's a complementary Young People's Assembly happening at the same time.
11: There is, yeah. So what the government set up is the National Youth Assembly, and they look at a lot of different issues. There's kind of young people from the ages of 12 to 24, and they're serving an 18-month term, and they'll be looking a lot of different topics in the assemblies that they hold. There has been a youth assembly on climate and there'll be other topics going forward. But like our hope would obviously be that the young people's voices are incorporated into the, the agenda afterwards.
5: Mm. Internationally, of course, we've had report after report now about the uh, concerns regarding biodiversity. So it's, it's a very opportune time.
11: Definitely. Okay. I, I think... Yeah, um, go ahead.
5: Sorry. Go ahead.
11: No, I think it is definitely internationally. And I think the thing about climate change is that it affects everybody on a, a local, a regional, a national and an international level. And I think with it, it, it's really one of those topics that affects every aspect of the way we live, our politics, our economics, our society. And like, even as I said earlier, like if we start becoming divided, we have no hope, really.
5: Alana, thank you. Alana Ryn who would be a member of the Young People's Assembly and she's an activist with a number of groups like Fridays for Future. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96.
1: Can
2: we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie
5: Hello there, I'm Graham Norton. Each year, the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon raises vital funds to support cancer services here in Cork. Please donate what you can to help so that these essential Cork charities can continue their great work. If you need a
3: light to shine it, I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on
2: Cork's 96FM. The lines
3: are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text
2: or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96.
3: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
5: On Cork's 96FM. You could do one of these every day and you still wouldn't cover them all. I got this message, I'm not even with PTSB. Get a text that says from PTSB Your card has been placed on hold Due to unusual activity Please visit dot 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 And follow the steps provided Do not If you get that text Do not I've had that before as well And I don't have an account With PTSB So don't, don't It's another scam Your bank We have to print t-shirts And have everyone walking around wearing them Your bank will never text you Ever Ever Okay, Hairy baby if you're listening Your bank will never text you T-shirts It's a scam 0818 96, 96 96 There's quite a few Comments that I'm holding On the National Maternity Hospital Including this one Mary says I'm slightly concerned by the idea That we can't trust the religious communities To run a hospital I have a question to ask Is it necessarily better to have people who run hospitals for a pro- for-profit for or from a secular political motive, rather than people of a humanitarian-stroke-charitable ethos. There's no evidence that the attitudes of the mother-of-baby homes leaked into the hospital system, and certainly no evidence that it's there now. The attitudes that people were fearful of were widespread in the society at the time, not just confined to religious. There are plenty of instances of secular organisations behaving in a similar way which is a very valid, well-thought-out point, Mary. It is, I give you that. Absolutely give you that. I think a lot of people, though, scarred from those days, and families and descendants of people scarred from those days retain, retain those scars and are nervous of anything that reminds them of it. The doctors are not disinterested parties. At the very least, a quick solution means a better working environment for them. Well, any delay means that senior medical personnel would spend a lot of their remaining working lives in less commodious circumstances. It's not the nuns will be in charge. She's right there. But people do worry about the Vatican influence. This is referring to the papers we don't get to see. Why not build it out in Vincent's? Uh, It's the far side of Dublin. Why build it out in Vincent's at all? It's at the far side of Dublin. Well, that's where it's going. John, I think it should have been built on a greenfield site, and then we wouldn't have these discussions. If this goes ahead, the Vatican is essentially signing off on abortion, which is totally going against the teachings of the church. We don't know what's in the paperwork, John, so we can't say that even. There are more... And I'll come back to them. 0818 96 96, 96 Or text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. I'm going to invite you to drop us a voice note if you want to do so at any point. You've all heard of the, the proud boys. A nasty bunch uh, sprung up in the United States over the last number of years. A eh, nasty, nasty bunch. They have an Irish branch, for want of a better Expression And journalist David Gilbert from Vice.com has been investigating the Irish branch of Proud Boys, Irish Proud Boys, and, and he joins me to discuss it. The The original Proud Boys, David, a very nasty bunch of people. Do we have a similar bunch of nasties in Ireland? Good morning.
12: Morning, BJ. Um we do and we don't i suppose really um they're they they have the same name they're in the same organization effectively they're connected to the US network but the activities that the the Irish chapter and in, get involved in um to what extent they do get involved in are very very um uh, minor compared to what the US um group is doing they are the Irish chapter is mostly interested in attacking people online um, and going drinking together. Mm. That seems to be to some extent of their efforts at the moment, at least.
5: How did you get to the bottom of them? You did quite a bit of digging. You had to do quite a bit of digging,
12: didn't you? Yeah, I suppose I was first uh, made aware of them. There was a, a major kind of Christian far-right um crowdfunding uh, website called Give, Send, Go that was um, hacked uh, during the the trucker convoy in Canada. And the data from that was released and it showed that quite a number of donations were made to Proud Buy campaigns from Irish uh, email addresses and and phone numbers. So I was able to kind of track down a couple of those and sent off some emails to ask them why they were donating to... um, the U.S. Proud Boys, the the leader of their, his defense fund. So I kind of got back and I was met with some kind of, uh, they, they weren't very welcoming really, they weren't open, but eventually I got through to someone who said they would speak to me, um, albeit only using the um, encrypted messaging app Telegram. Mm. So I spent a, a couple of weeks chatting to someone they're just asking him about details of the chapter, how it's set up, how it's organized, who it's connected to and what activities they were doing. Um, so he was the, the guy I was speaking to who goes by the pseudonym Frank Irish. He was quite open and willing to talk about what they were doing. Mm. Um so yeah, it was it was it was quite interesting to see. I suppose the most interesting thing I think is the fact that they are connected to a network of European pro-boy chapters mm-hmm. and also that they have traveled to the US to meet their US counterparts and the US counterparts have apparently come to Ireland and been hosted by the Irish pro-boys as well. Is it a
5: fair contrast they seem to have no interest or time for violence in in this group?
12: Yeah, and if you talk to researchers in this area who are tracking these groups, they are not concerned uh, at all really about these groups. They say there's far more worrying aspects of the far right in Ireland that need to be paid attention to, that the pro boys are effectively just kind of role-playing far, right act- far right fascists, really, and they're not really active in that area that they're just kind of guys who are dressing up as as uh, the far right really rather than just partaking in anything um and they, they completely issue violence they they even the there's four degrees within the proud boys and the fourth one to, to obtain the fourth degree you have to go out in the us at least you have to go out and engage in a major act of violence you know whether tackling a member of Antifa, or just taking part in some some fight, um, and in Ireland that's that doesn't happen. Right. Instead, they put it to a vote. So they they seem to have kind of a they really want to distance themselves from from any violent activity.
5: You, you'd kind of wonder if that is the case. You hold views that that others might very strongly disagree with, but if you have no interest in yeah. violence, why would you name your group that way?
12: Yeah. And I, I asked, I asked him that very question, and he was, like I said, why bother? Why not just have? Because he kind of described it as this men's shed where you get drunk and everybody lifts each other up. And I said, why don't you just join a men's shed then and not, yeah. not label yourself as proud boys? But he said, well, you know, they 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 call themselves Western chauvinists, and he said, it's it's. What's that term mean, do you know, modern. David? What means?
5: What, I, I read that in your article a couple of times. What does yeah. that actually mean? Western, it's, chauvinist, and a refuse to
12: Like, in the US, it's certainly a dog whistle for white supremacists. Like, the the researchers will say that they are, in all but name, a, a white supremacist group and that they are, a lot of their language very much kind of hints at that, that fact. No. By by using that language here in Ireland, uh, you know they, and if you if you go on their Telegram channel, they they post memes that they say are just funny, but like they're openly racist, openly Islamophobic, open, and they they when I challenged him on it, the guy I was speaking to just said, oh, we just you know we just want to have a laugh and we want a safe space, and it's it's going back to this thing again, I guess, about you know cancel culture and wokeness, which they believe is kind of coming to take their culture or, you know, to attack white males. They, they like the, the, the reason the Pro Boys was set up and, and just for clarity, it was set up by uh, Gavin McInnes, who was the founder of Vice News, which is where I work. Uh, but he hasn't been involved in Vice News since 20 or for, since for a long time, long before he set up the, the Pro Boys. But he he kind of set it up because he felt that white Western male culture was under attack which is ludicrous, uh, you know, on the face of it. Um, but that's, that's just the, way he, the reason he set it up. And I think that's where the Western chauvinist thing comes back, to, is that these guys just feel as if they're under attack, that their way of life is somehow under attack, um, which is patently ridiculous, really.
5: So basically, they're just a load of fellas who get locked and talk in a way that wouldn't be acceptable in, in modern society, but they do it in their own little closed group.
12: Yeah, and they, they wear the black and white T-shirts that have kind of become to symbolize the the proud boys. And that's it, really. They, they kind of talk about doing charity and stuff like this. But it's, it's mostly a place where white men want to uh, kind of um, not abide by the rules of society in terms of speaking, you know, with consideration for other cultures, other genders, other people. Um, and they just want to, to kind of do whatever they want and, and get drunk at the same time.
5: All right, all right. David, thanks for that. So nothing to be particularly concerned about. They're no interest in the violence, unlike some of their counterparts across the world. They're just a bunch of they, <laughs> I love the bit where it says it's that we're just a men's shed that gets shit faced and lifts each other up. So join Proud Boys for that. I'm sure there are many other places that you can go and have a few scoops and, and be lifted by people without talking like that. Kevin says, bunch of wannabe hard men talking, you know what, online. Cowards, the lot of them. 0818 96, 96, 96. No, Kevin, I can't use that word on daytime radio. <laughs> I wish I could, I'd love to, but I can't. Morris, when it comes to the National Maternity Hospital, this country seems to be going back in time, not forward. The hospital, if and when it's finally built, will be on Catholic land. And the idea that the church will allow procedures they're vehemently against is hard to swallow. Having a mixture of church and state with a stake in a hospital is a recipe for disaster and will take this country back to a religious theocracy which will decide what patients can or can't do. That's, it's a, dividing, a divisive issue with reassurances coming out the wazoo now that there will be no involvement by the church in the hospital. That's coming from one side. No involvement in the hospital by the church. The nuns are gone. Writ large, if necessary, on the side of the building. The nuns are gone. That's one side. And good people like Professor Higgins saying, look, she's never had to deal with influence from nuns or religion of any kind in the course of her great work. She's on one side. The other side is Dr. Boylan bringing us back to this discussion about a box of paperwork. I use the word box figuratively. A box of paperwork we haven't seen. We don't know what's in there. And do we want to be in a position in five or ten years where we're asking ourselves, oh my God, what did we sign up to? But it'll all be signed off tomorrow. That's how it is. 0818-969696. 96 96 96. Front page of the Irish Sun Today has a story on codeine addiction. Painkiller addiction. This is not new. We've come across this ah years ago now. But this call now for a clampdown on the over-the-counter availability of medicines that contain. Codeine, son's been doing some work on it and I'll talk to them next. 0818 96 96 96.
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM.
5: Now it's come up many times over the years, you know, you can't just wander into a pharmacy and ask for a box of solpidine or a box of Nurofen Plus or anything like that. You might or you might not get them. You certainly will be asked a number of questions, but still there are those who believe it's far too easy to get codeine-based or tablets with codeine in them over the counter in Ireland. In fact, there are parts of the world where you just can't get codeine over the counter. I think, and I may be wrong here, even though I've been there quite a few times, I don't think you can get codeine-based products or anything with codeine in it over the counter, for example, in any part of Spain or in Greece. You can't, for sure. But you can here. Much easier in the UK again, but you can't do it here. But the investigation by the Irish Sun has shown that it is actually much easier than you might think. Danny Devald writing the front page story today. And Danny, this comes on the back, I think, of the incredible series we watched over the last few months, dope sick about the opioid epidemic in the states and it's too easy you're saying to get your hands on these things good morning
13: Good morning. Um, absolutely. Yeah, we, we we carried out an investigation um last week in Dublin City Centre, um, and we wanted to kind of see how easy it was to kind of pick up kind of these codeine painkillers such as Norfem Plus, or Solpanine. So what what we what we done was we went to ten pharmacies kind of in in the Dublin City Centre area, and ju- just went in and and seeing kind of how easy it was to buy. Um nobody refused us um any tablets and it was very minimal questioning about why we wanted the painkillers.
5: I like, think was it did you do the buying yourself,
13: Jenny? Yeah, I I done the buying myself so, so what, what kind of we just questions kind of, were you asked? So we were mainly asked for the tablets for us and if um we were taking any other medication. Um and that was kind of it. Kind of if you asked us what type of pain we had and only one um pharmacy out of the ten that we went into actually told us about the side effects that taking codeine can can cause. Um but the nine others like so, like sold them to us without hassle. Right.
5: Right now, you spoke to uh, an expert, uh, Doctor Garrett McGovern, who's quoted in your article this morning, and he said there's a serious level of codeine addiction in the community.
13: Yeah, absolutely. Um, he he said that he's seen seen more and more of it. He said that he, he treated one guy who, who was taking up to forty eight tablets a day. He had holes born into his stomach. Um, he said that um this this type of addiction um only kind of presents when when it's 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 very late on mm. um pe- people um uh he pe- he he reckons only up to ten percent of people with, with an addiction to codeine painkillers are presenting for treatment so he said it's very kind of pe- people aren't coming forward and when when they do come forward there's already damage to their kidneys kidneys or liver as a result of taking taking these sort of painkillers
5: like if the guy was taking forty-eight tablets a day now, to the best of my knowledge, the most you can get in a box is twenty-four, and generally it's only twelve, twenty-four at the most, and they're what they're about ten or twelve quid a box. Well, like what were you paying for the boxes you bought?
13: So we we paid on average between kind of eight fifty to kind of fifteen euro, depending on the chemist that we went into. Right. So they're they're not cheap, no. um, they're, they're, they're not cheap tablets to buy. Um, no. no, no Dr. McGovern said that kind of um, people who, who tend to have kind of an addiction to coding kind of come from more affluent backgrounds, um, and he described as they, they present very well. Um, he said he's seen examples where, where, where people have almost like dressed up in kind of suits and, you know, went from pharmacy to pharmacy so, so, so they can kind of stock up on the, the, these tablets.
5: Yeah, and they spend their day, I remember they did something, there was a documentary on this a few years ago on television as well, where they literally spend their day going around, they might they might go to a couple of village pharmacies to, to stock up.
13: Yeah, and, and and this this is the thing, this is the other thing that Dr. McGovern told us, he, he said that people kind of tend to lead very normal lives, even though they're heavily addicted to these codeine medications, and only when... Problems start, start, um, start occurring, like like they start getting vomit in their blood and stuff like that. Then, then do they go and seek out treatment? But at that stage, the damage is already being done, um, which is very unfortunate. Yeah,
5: he said there's only you're only seeing about 10% of what needs to be treated, but he also said that addiction happens quickly.
13: Yeah, see, this is the thing, like while while this is now becoming a problem in Ireland, um taking the taking the likes of North and Salpadine, um there they, they, they shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be demonized P- people should be allowed to take these it's people go take them for a short period of time and and, and that should be it but what, what seems to be happening is, is that people continue to take them for longer than, than than they should and then they develop an addiction to them we spoke to a, another doctor in the uk who said most of the time when people present um to her clinic in the uk with a problem to these codeine tablets that most of the time that the problem that they initially started taking codeine painkillers for has gone and now they're just left with um, the addiction that they have to them um, but they're an incredibly effective medication for, for, for treating kind of menstrual pain and, and other sorts of um, acute illnesses
5: There is one particular um, tablet that women take for menstrual pain has, has codeine in it and they tend to get questioned when they go to the counter for it. But there are many countries, uh, Danny, I'm sure you've checked this out, where you just can't buy anything with codeine in it over the, over the counter. And are experts like Dr. McGovern, are they looking for it to be tightened up and become prescription only?
13: So, yeah, as you said, in, in Australia, in Australia... um these um, kind of codeine painkillers are, are banned over the counter since 2018 um, and, and that just goes to show you um, like that it shouldn't be as easy as it was for us to purchase kind of 10 packets in the space of kind of an hour and a half Like yeah. we literally went from chemist to chemist we did speak with the Department of Health and the Department of Health um, did tell us that, 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 that they're looking at all options and like no option is kind of off the table in terms of tackling this, this, this problem
5: because yeah, the thing about it is they are very good they are very good tablets to take when you're stuck but you can become addicted to them so quickly ok Danny thank you very much Danny Duval has a story on the Irish Sun today it, 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 it harks back to, to Dope Sick which was a huge scandal of course in the United States it was the epidemic caused it was managed and it was covered up watch it, it's one of the most frightening things you will ever see But opioids, like codeine, are the same family of drugs. And there are people, there are people who have come through very painful treatment, medical treatment, and come out the other side addicted to stuff like Oxy and addicted to stuff like that. But there are people driving around buying boxes of codeine, boxes of salpidine, rather, and Nurofen Plus and the whole kit and caboodle, and they're addicted too. And we're not finding them. Until they were in serious trouble. Thanks, Danny. Front page of the Irish Sun today. 0818 96 96 96.
2: Can we just talk?
5: Opinion line
2: on Cork's 96 FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at corkcitymarathon.ie.
2: Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your
3: guide to nightlife on Leaside.
1: Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Described as a singer whose voice has a remarkable ability of taking you into his world, Tommy Fleming returns to Cork in February 23 for two shows celebrating three decades as. One of Ireland's most gifted singers Tickets for the shows are now on sale From corkoperhouse.ie Access all areas Joining headliners Fatboy, Slim, Rudimental And Bastille, Indie 22 has announced Some more additions for the Imro stage Including Jerry Fish, Lorraine Nash Moncrief, Sophie Doyle Ryder The Blizzards and Tolu Mackay Weekend camping tickets are now on sale From independencefestival.com Access
2: all
1: areas You can contact us here at Access all areas If you have a show, play or
0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Submission or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie.
3: Access all areas. Your guide to
1: nightlife on side
3: On Quark's 96fm.
5: More scams. Got a voice message yesterday, supposed to be from Social Welfare, telling me a car is to call and arrest me for fraud. There has to be a way to stop this. Yeah, every time they stop it, it just starts again. Like the red flag, there should be social welfare ringing you on a Sunday. But at the same time, you wouldn't check, would you? You wouldn't, in the in the moment. I did, I got one of those about about two years ago. To say I owed the revenue money. <laughs> a lot of money. And I kind of said, if I was even earning that kind of money, let alone owe it. <laughs> but thank you. 0818 96 96 96. On the trial, the Karen Harrington trial, the jury... Back in this morning to resume considering its verdict, of course. Karen Harrington denies the murder of Santina Colley in July of 2019. Jury were sent out on Friday uh, by Judge McGrath. Uh, they spent about an hour and a half getting themselves started on their deliberations. They were then sent home for the weekend and they are resuming this morning. Not too sure what time the court is sitting. It's usually 11. They may have sat a little earlier, but if we do hear anything from that... Before the end of the program, Maureen Tuig is there and she'll come straight through to us. 0818-969696. 96 96 96. There's a new website has been set up, a kind of an online directory, to help Ukrainian refugees to access supports as they try to settle into a new life here in Cork. Uh, it's a free website. It offers all sorts of indications as to how people might find a home, maybe find a job, maybe find health services and other such supports. Pat Ciarans, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Tell me more about, is it private or private, Cork?
1: Um, well, my Ukrainian is um, probably as good as yours, but I, I understand it is private and it means hello or hi in a very casual way. So hello, Cork is um, what it means. And it's exactly what you described there a minute ago, um, a site that's there to facilitate companies, organisations, individuals who would like to make genuine offers of products or services specifically for Ukrainian refugees now living in Cork and soon to arrive.
5: Because I would imagine the language barrier is a problem. Yes, a great deal of them have very strong English when they come, but some have none at all. So need to be able to offer a, a kind of a bilingual version of everything.
1: Yeah, it, it is bilingual, um, and, and we learned, having started the project, that that was essential. We, we sort of had misunderstood at the outset, thinking that most most people arriving had very good English, but it seems that may not be the case. Mm. So the site is bilingual, um, and thankfully the team here in the jeho sort of were able to quickly rectify that and make sure that um, the key information is available both in English for those people making the offers and in Ukrainian then for those people who hopefully will take up the offers.
5: Yeah, that's your company jhud.ie, tell me about that.
1: Oh, um, we're a marketing communications company based here in town, PJ on uh, George's Key. Um, So we offer a, a websites, I suppose, being an obvious one that we were able to turn our skills to for uh, for the Ukrainian effort. But we're a full full service marketing communications company. As uh, so we're we're here now about six or seven years in Georgia's key, and um, thankfully all going well. Mm-hmm. And the team was just. They were desperate to try and find a way to help. And it wasn't immediately obvious what a marketing communications company could do to help with the refugee crisis. Um, but we had this idea. And then um, through uh, Helen Murphy in, in the Cork Business Association, we were in touch with the CBA, Cork Chamber, Cork City Council and the other agencies who are kind of coordinating Cork's response to this. Mm. and uh, we floated the idea, we got a really positive response, so we've cracked on and turned it around in, in quite a short period of time. Mm. So hopefully now people will respond to a PJ, mm. you know, because it'll only be as successful as the offers that um, are made, um, and helping to spread the word, which you're doing this morning, will be hugely important as well, so thanks for that. So it's
5: P-R-Y-V-I-T Cork, can you offer advice on... Teaching English, transport, medicine, sport and social, health and beauty, and any number of areas, really.
1: Yeah, like they're the categories that we're expecting most of the offers, but um, we expect this site to evolve and change depending on what actually is offered and what we find out to be needed. So they're the categories, as I say, that we've already had um Interest in people providing offers in, but we will change it. We'll update it. We'll add categories. We'll remove categories as as we learn more about mm. what's actually most important. Yeah. Um, but it was important to say as well. Look, uh, we're, we're looking for offers here that um, wouldn't be akin now to maybe the likes of Groupon. You know, where people are being offered a ten or twenty percent discount in a shop or whatever. Um, the, the, the the situation with people arriving from Ukraine is very different. They need. Uh, they need offers that are not going to cost them and they need to be uh, very practical and and focused on immediate needs I suppose
5: Mm I mean nearly 30,000 people we're told have come at this stage and quite a few of them to Cork and we've heard much talk about where they're going to get accommodation and people taking them into their own homes for example have you any facility Pat to assist people who want to take in a refugee into their own home
1: well I suppose we have to be careful, PJ, in terms of limiting what we do to our expertise. Sure. So we, we we will ensure that any offers or requests are connected properly. Um, we're not in a position to advise on specific sort of circumstances or whatever. Yeah. And I suppose what, what I really do hope here is if the site takes off in terms of popularity and so on, that we'll end up handing it over to people who can actually really get into the nitty-gritty of what you're talking about there, for example. Um, Like, we have have no ambition to
5: keep... Little queries that were coming... uh, Not little queries, they're important queries, which are coming into us last week along the lines of, you know, if I take in a Ukrainian refugee, does it affect my house insurance? Or if I take in a Ukrainian refugee, does it affect tax relief on my mortgage? That's not your area of expertise, but if someone wants to come and offer you that expertise...
1: Well, what we'll do is w- there. There is an area on the site where we'll be constantly adding resources for information around all of these types of issues, but bearing in mind that the primary function of the site really is to connect people who need help okay. with the help. All right. You know, so um, so there will be those resources in terms of we'll be linking to government and local uh, local sort of aid agencies as well. There'll be links to all of those resources on the website, but really, what we're looking for here is people to say, look. I can make this available. I'd like to offer this, and then we can connect that with people who need those services. Okay.
5: Good luck with it, um, Pat. That's uh, Pat Cairns. The website is called Private or Privit. Private Cork. P r y v i t Cork. dot i e Private Cork. P r y v i t Cork. dot i e Sarah, is it I, is it Filing or Feeling? I always ask people. Filing. Just, uh, filing recalibrating reality is a big term for what actually is quite a simple (laughs) process it's recognising what actually matters and dealing only with what actually matters in the here and now isn't that right good morning
7: that's it it, I know it's a big long-winded kind of theory but um, it is quite simple in reality it's basically about bringing your awareness back to yourself back to the present moment where there is safety most of the time now, um, and where there is very little to be afraid of, where there's normally and usually not much threat going on, as I say now, most of the time, for most people. Yeah.
5: Now, you're a personal development coach and a trauma therapist, and you you said there are three levels of reality, uh, primary, second, and third, and we should do our level best to live in the primary. So what's in there? What's in the primary?
7: So the primary reality is our right here, right now, present environment moment. And it's, as I said, usually quite safe and um, for most people most of the time. Now, obviously, look, there's the times where we're not safe and you know in dangerous situations, but most of the time it is. So um then your second level reality or level two would be kind of the bigger picture of your life. And it's more what's going on around us, what's going on within our relationships, you know, could be career, could be responsibilities or commitments. And it can also be the past as well. We spend a lot of time thinking about all of those things as opposed to focusing on our present moment and on our level one reality. Mm. And then the third reality is the outer um context of life where you're talking about like media you know the outside world it may not have a direct it's basically whatever doesn't have a direct effect on you but it's stuff that you spend time thinking about it's stuff that you perceive and stuff that you watch like the media society culture Mm. could be wars pandemics all of that would be in your level three reality Mm. so my theory is that a lot of our fear and threat comes from level two, which is the bigger picture of your life, and level three, which is everything that's going on outside your life. That's where most of the fear and threat comes from, unless now that you're in a dangerous situation where you're immediately threatened.
6: Sure.
5: The best state you can be in, isn't it, Sarah, at any one time mentally, is to be surrounded. Your reality, for want of a better word, is things over which you have control. And something that yes. you can 't control doesn 't belong in that circle
7: no this is it and that 's the that 's the other side of my coaching model is. Recognizing what you can control and what you can't control. So, within your level two reality and level three reality, there's most likely not an awful lot you can control unless there's immediate actions you can take in your present moment. Mm. So, it's about recognizing that, recognizing what actions you can take to, you know, maybe alleviate whatever is causing you fear or anxiety within that moment. And then it's about recognizing when you can't control a situation or when there is no action that you can take and let it go and kind of set the intention that you'll come back to that whenever you can take an action on it.
5: Yeah, There there are things in life, aren't there, that we, we have no control over, for fragment's sake, we have no control over what a neighbor or a family member, we've no control over what they do, over how they behave. We can't control that. We no. can control our reaction to it. And it's recognizing that is the right thing.
7: It is, yeah. And that's like, that's the beauty of this model as well. It will really build your self awareness and it will really kind of make you look at and question or realize how much time you spend thinking about really insignificant things that you cannot control. Now, sorry, they may not be insignificant, but it's the things that you spend time thinking about that you can't control a lot of that is time and energy and focus and attention wasted unfortunately when you could really be putting that energy into you know creating the life that you want or recognizing what it is that you want as opposed to focusing on what you don't want and the thing about it as well is when you build your self-awareness you automatically increase your quality of life there's a direct correlation between a higher self-awareness higher emotional intelligence and a nice good quality of life with happiness peace and joy
5: it's also about recognizing boundaries and being good with boundaries. One of the nice, uh, uh, I, if you like, a word of praise I heard about somebody recently. Oh yeah, she's very boundaryed. There's a new word on me.
7: Yeah, boundaries are very important, and I covered that in my Life Changers program. So boundaries. Are So important in relationships and for yourself as well, in terms of, you know, I was just chatting to Fiona about the weekend. It was I had a quite restful weekend and I have to be very boundary myself with that. I have to put those boundaries in place for myself. But also we need boundaries in relationships. It's good to be vulnerable in relationships, but you need to know how far you can go with vulnerability. There is so much, like I could talk for hours on boundaries, there's so much to say about it, but it's just really important to recognise are your boundaries too weak? Are they too strong? Are they right in the middle? And how you'll know that is the impact that different things have on you. If there's a bit of resistance in your life, if you're having, you know, if there's things that you're not happy with, then boundaries are Definitely want to be looking at.
5: Yeah. Like your boundaries are as in, if d, d, figuring out your boundaries and figuring out the things that actually matter. They're, they're very aligned, aren't they?
7: They're. Yeah. yeah and, and you really need to know what matters and what you want within your relationships and within your life to set your boundaries. And you need to know what healthy boundaries are. And we need support with that. We're not taught that, yeah. you know, actively. Or we, Well, we haven't been. It's changing, thankfully, finally. But we haven't actively been taught about any of this stuff really mm. growing up. You know, I hadn't. And that's through no fault of anybody's. This is only, we're only really starting to see now the impact of not having boundaries or not having emotional te- intelligence or not working on our personal development. We're starting to see that now along the lines of mental health difficulties and, you know, unresolved pain and trauma. We're seeing the the massive impact that's taking on people's mental health and you know hopefully people are starting to realize that it's not scary to face it it may be feels scary but when you're in the in the moment and you're when you're when you've got support in facing any unresolved pain or changes that need to be made it's not as scary as it seems initially yeah
5: there's a there's a I, how connected to say the third level of reality as you put it is the tendency to overthink. We can overthink for Ireland, some of us
7: massively. And I would be saying to people now, I'm not encouraging people. You know, like look, the the term ignorance is bliss comes up. Um, comes to mind for me. But I'm not encouraging people to be dispassionate or not to empathise with, you know, what's going on in the world. That's not it at all. But I... I even found myself during the pandemic, especially I was getting very, very fearful about what was going on. It was creating a lot of fear in me and I really had to switch off from that. And I had to really filter what I was looking at on social media and what I was listening to on the news, all of that. So you really have to be like if something is having consequences in your life in a negative way, you really have to look at that. And that's where the boundaries part comes in then to set your boundaries boundaries around that because that's going to protect your mental health and that's the ultimate goal at the end of the day, you know, to preserve your peace and preserve your inner happiness um, or increase it, whatever the case may be. So yes, the level three of reality, the outer whatever is going on in the world can have a huge impact on worry and fear and overthinking and anxiety.
5: Is it kind or unkind to, to stop someone when they're talking to you and say, come here, you know, you have no control over the situation you're talking about. You have no control over it. Step away from it. It's not. It's not doing. Any good. Is it? Is it kind or unkind to do that?
7: I would say to take every case as it comes. So we say it depends on how a person is feeling as well. Some days you're able for the conversations and other days you're not. So I would take it on, you know, a day by day basis, check in with how you're feeling. And if you are talking to somebody who's pretty fixated on something that you are not too comfortable with, you can communicate that in a very gentle non-judgmental nice way by saying look I appreciate you want to talk about this but at the moment I'm not feeling great around that so is there any chance we could you know change the subject and maybe move on to something a bit more you know a neutral ground as opposed to something that strikes up a lot of opinions which Mm -hmm. can be kind of can be a bit you know uh, divisive in conversations between friends or family or relationships you know how
5: how important is it to to just every so often take time to yourself and maybe with a piece of paper even and a pen to write down the things that matter right here right now
7: very important and very beneficial. Um, it shouldn't be, you know, it doesn't have to be a chore, it doesn't have to be uh, something that you don't look forward to. It's it could it should be like a discovery kind of a thing to see I do it regularly myself. I try to do it at least once a week if I can, um if not once every couple of weeks, just to sit down check in with myself, how am I feeling, what's going on for me, is there any actions that I can take around that? Yeah. What are the general feelings? Do I need support with that? Do is there something and that can help me, that I can share with, that I can, you know, talk it through with. Um, and I, well, I'm very active with my personal development anyway. I'm constantly learning and things like that. But, you know, it, it's a really enjoyable process when you make it, you know, something that you want to do, not something that you have to do, you know.
5: Okay. All right. Recalibrating reality is a big umbrella term for just sorting out the things that matter and teaching yourself to sort out and focus only on the things that matter and actually matter to you and matter to you right now. MaryMeCenter.ie is where you'll find out an awful lot more about recalibrating reality. Sarah Fyland, thank you for that. She's a personal development coach and trauma therapist. Sort out your thoughts. If it doesn't matter, if you can't change it, don't or try not to worry about it. 0818- 96 96 96 And yes Before you ring and complain It is much easier said than done
2: Can we just talk The Opinion Line On Cork's 96 FM
3: With the Cork City Marathon Take on your next challenge this June By running solo or with a team Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text or WhatsApp 083
2: 96 96.
3: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: On Cork's 96FM.
5: Yeah, as I said, this is a, an ongoing issue on the programme which started about a week and a bit ago when we just got a message from someone who was concerned at the length of time it was taking to get their J1 cleared and their paperwork sorted and their visa stamped so they could go off to the states to work for the summer and lo and behold when we read it out we were inundated with messages of people in the same boat and there's more to come in fact we'll be returning to this over the coming days but uh, Bork, TD put a question to the Minister for Foreign Affairs having... we we raised it with him and he put a question to the Foreign Affairs Minister by way of written parliamentary question he asked if the Minister will engage with the US Embassy with a view to expedite the processing of J1 visa applications considering that many people are currently awaiting approval and are you to travel at the end of May 2022 and if you'll make a statement on the matter. Now, the reply, these things usually start with a load of silver service gunk. So the J1 is a valuable part of building exchange between the US and Ireland and something we're keen to see return to pre-pandemic levels. Okay, that's fine. That's a space for itself. The processing of US visas, this is from the Minister for Foreign Affairs in return... in answer to that question the processing of u.s visas is solely a matter for the u.s authorities and my department has no remit over the operations of the u.s embassy visa service my advice to those seeking to apply for a u.s visa or for a visa waiver is to get information from the website of the u.s embassy in dublin and to engage with them directly on their application In recent days, officials from my department have discussed the matter with the U.S. Embassy who are working hard to minimise waiting times and have recently dedicated extra resources to the processing of J1 visa applications which is expected to result in a significant increase in the number being processed in the coming days and weeks, which effectively translates Look, um, I'm not getting involved because I can't get involved but my people have been on to the embassy and they say they're doing their best that pretty much sums it up uh, we'll come back to this one though in the next couple of days we've still been contacted by people who were affected and this is the time when people should be packing their bags and thinking have they got everything together but they're not they still don't have their paperwork 0818 96 96 96. I have spoken before uh, to people from HUG it's, it's a national group of people bereaved by suicide and volunteer week is coming up uh, this week actually is national volunteering week and in association with that hug are looking for volunteers and people to get involved with their work i'm joined by two members sandra o'sullivan and elaine o'dullivan who both join me now hello to you both
14: hi Good PJ. morning pj
5: I'll start with with you, Elaine. Um, HUG means an awful lot to you, Um, and and you're trying to get more people involved. What is HUG, for those who haven't heard of it?
15: So HUG is um, a charitable organisation who um, have peer support groups for people who are specifically bereft by suicide. Um, I got involved with HUG um, because in 2015 I lost my husband, Kevin, to suicide. And at the time, there was little or no supports for me. Um, I was widowed with three young children and pregnant with a fourth, and all I wanted was to meet someone or talk to someone that was living the devastation, the pain, the loss and the darkness, and that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, through hug, um, I found that. I've met the most inspirational people, resilient people. And when I got to a stage in my own grief where I was comfortable and felt that I could support others walking this journey, I um, trained to become a facilitator with HUG, and we uh, started a group here in Cork um, last April with Sandra. Sandra and myself were the only two facilitators here in Cork.
5: I think I remember talking to HUG just in advance of that meeting. So the, is it fair to say, Elaine and Sandra, if you want to come in on this one, feel free, is it fair to say that you really can't emphasize Unless you have been there,
14: that's exactly it, uh, PJ. Um, unfortunately, where we were given the cross to carry, um, I've had multiple suicides in my family. Um, so I know I agree with Elaine firsthand, there was no support there, no help. Um, Fiona Toomey started, um, Hug in 2017, she lost her daughter Millie. That's right. Um, Fiona joined Hug, um hug means healing untold grief groups for people that wouldn't know that so we meet up every two weeks in a hotel in cork um you get to have coffee refreshments tea and more importantly you get to meet with others that are going through the same journey um grief destroys families especially suicide there's so many unanswered questions what ifs you know um cork especially has um very very high suicide rate we're looking, because it's National Volunteers Week, for more volunteers to help us so we can start another group in Cork yeah. to also every other county in Ireland. They, they, we need more people to come forward to help us. You have to be um, bereft, um over three years yourself to be, get involved with HUG. Right. Um, so if there's anybody out there and they think that they you know can train and help other people in a very vulnerable position like myself and Elaine have, Obviously, you know, the devastation that comes with it. And we just heard the ad on the radio for a hug and we decided to help ourselves. Obviously, it's not going to help our family situations, but we're trying to help others and I suppose get, gain something positive mm. from the grief that we're dealing with daily.
5: Yeah, because I'm sure you both remember the initial grief and the blackness that comes. And then, is it fair to say, Elaine, that over a period of time, with the right support, The pain never goes away, but you learn to live with it.
15: Yes, you get stronger. I mean, the grief will always be there, the loss, the void in my life and the kids' lives and our families' lives will always be there, but you get stronger. Um, But not everyone looks for help. Not everyone can ask for help. Not everyone feels they need help and that's okay, but... There's a comfort in knowing that there is a support and a help there. And that's why we need more facilitators here in Cork, mm. you know, that we can get another group and that if someone needs to reach out, there's somewhere to go.
5: Sandra, have you come across the person who is, say, a newcomer to a group going to their first meeting and all they do is sit in the corner and listen? And that in itself is, is a huge experience for them.
14: Well, that's exactly what we tell people at the start of each meeting, that you're under no obligation or no pressure to speak, that, you know, you can sit and just listen and, you know, be around other people that need support. Like we've had members come to our meetings. Um, they're there obviously a good while now that have said directly to us, like he saved our lives to hear words like that coming back to you, that we're making that much of a difference. Obviously PJ, we can't bring their loved ones back, but we can walk side by side together and help each other on the darker days. We have WhatsApp groups. We po- we post nice messages, nice quotes. People can remember birthdays. You know, we- it's all voluntary, obviously. We give up our time. And I suppose, I know everyone has busy lives and children and jobs, but, you know, mm-hmm. w- we would be very grateful with a bit of extra help and support from people if you'd like to give back and try and help others in the same situation that are very early on in their grief. Mm-hmm.
5: So, Elaine, how can, if, pe- if people listening to us right now um, are bereaved more than three years and feel that they're ready to give something back, how would they get involved?
15: So what they can do is they can, the phone number is oh one five one three four zero four eight, or they can go to info at hug.ie and someone will contact them from head office and go through all the training and what is expected of them. All I would say for someone that does want to go to be a facilitator, you know, it's that what we get back from them meetings is unbelievable. It, don't be afraid to pick up the phone and talk to Fiona or Roisin or Sheila. They'll guide you through it. The training is in the evenings. We trained because of um, lockdown. We, we did our training at weekends in the evenings. There's a way around everything. Yeah.
5: this message is starting to come in. Yeah. Um... Hug has saved my life this past year after my brother's tragic death. I needed to talk to people who understood my complex grief. This group are my new friends. We're supporting each other on this very unique, heartbreaking pathway of grief. Thanks be to God for Hug, and that's just one. I have found huge support from Hug and Cork. What a group. We meet every second Tuesday. They really have helped me so much. That's two people who are already involved And here's someone, and I don't know whether this person is, but maybe they could benefit. I lost my daughter, my only child, to suicide. You never recover. Six years, and I still awake every morning wishing it had never happened. You can identify with all of those messages, Sandra.
14: Yeah, definitely. Like, as Elaine said, you know, it's, you you learn to live side by side with it, but it's, so many triggers constantly, birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas especially is the time where I kind of get very lonely.
3: Yeah.
14: Um, You know, you always feel the void in your life and you try and get up and, you know, do the normal day-to-day stuff. But I remember early on in my grief, after multiple deaths, you know, it was very, very hard. And as Elaine said, nowhere to go, no one to talk to, you know, very dark days at the start. Now at least... You know, there's somewhere for people to go to speak out, not to speak out, just to sit there and to know we're not walking it alone, we're walking it together. And that that in itself is very, very powerful. We're a unit as one. I've learned a lot from HUG. I've learned a lot of, you know, grief that I hadn't dealt with, I suppose. I went back into and, you know, with the help of my group, you know, we all get triggered at times at meetings and that's normal. Myself and Elaine are healing too. And we're learning so much from our members, along with them learning and getting help as well, you
5: know. It sounds like uh, these are remarkable places, these meetings are remarkable places to be, Elaine, and thinking there, as Sandra said, in terms of Christmas now or birthdays, I, I, I imagine, and, and the WhatsApp groups, like, no one really gets it unless they've worn that jacket, as it were. So
15: exactly, if
5: you're in a WhatsApp group, and you know that everybody in there gets it, and you feel crap today. You, th- th- I don't think you can place a value on that.
15: No. And, like the question you said there, you asked, like, unless you've actually lived this, you cannot, there are no words that can explain the devastation. Your life is turned upside down and inside out. And to be surrounded and in a room, or even some nights we had to do Zoom meetings because of lockdown. You still feel that energy and we're, you know, we're nodding. Someone is saying something and you can resonate what they're saying and you don't feel so isolated. Like the Hug peer support groups, they give hope and healing for anyone who's breathed by suicide because we're all walking the same walk again, side by side, as Sandra said.
5: Here's another one. Hi PJ, I'm a member of the Cork Hug group. I lost my mother to suicide almost three years ago. Hug has saved me and seen me through some very dark times in my grief, and continues to do so. Just want to show my appreciation and support to them, because they've given me so much. And we're literally having, our texts have taken off here. You're doing great work, guys. You're doing super work.
15: And PJ, that means so much to us, you know, just to be able to give something back, and that we're making a difference. All
5: right. Well, if anybody wants to join you as volunteers, you need to have three years after, if you like, three years after a suicide bereavement. Um, we'll give you the number, give the number out on the email again. Sandra O'Sullivan and Elaine O'Donovan. I remember, I do remember talking to uh, the lady who set it up a couple of years ago and she was trying to get a Cork group. I'm delighted to catch up with you again and realize that that group is now big and successful and you're looking to start a second one. Sandra and Elaine, thank you both. If you want to contact HUG, um, become a volunteer, maybe help with setting up a second group in Cork 01-513-4048 01-513-4048 or pop them an email info at i e. info at hug.ie
2: Can we just talk
5: the opinion Line
2: on Cork's 96FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie and Ross in the morning. Weekdays, 6 to 9
4: a.m. On
3: Cork's 96FM.
4: Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson showed up at their first red carpet together. It's already started to happen. She's definitely styling him. While he's wearing a pair of knee-high boots or something. (laughs) (laughs) He's got... This is completely, like, not what he normally looks like because he's normally wearing, like, T-shirts and ripped jeans and chains and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I'd say, to be honest with you, she just pulled him aside. She's like, Pete, we're going to a red carpet. Okay. You're you're not wearing Pokemon runners. But I like the Pokemon runners. You can bring your Game Boy, but you can only use it in the car, but you're not wearing Pokemon runners, Okay. they're going to be
14: picking at me
4: and they're going to be picking at you <laughs> Casey and
3: Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool exclusively Skoda in the city find your next car online at nulldc.com. open 24-7
5: in a couple of months time in end of August stroke start of September loads and loads and loads of smallies will be heading off to big school big school junior infants and senior infants, and they'll be finishing up with their Montessori and their playgroups or whatever kind of a group or preschool they've been in, and they'll be moving on to big school. And it's a big thing, not just for them, but really for the whole family. Uh, Sinead Hennessy I teaches Montessori. at pretty Nave. Sinead, it's that time of the year again. You've got to get them ready for big school, and you you yourself play a big role with the parents. Good morning.
16: Good morning d j We do indeed, and it is that time of year now where you know they're getting ready to finish with us they're you know they're at the point now where they're ready for the new challenge, the new experience and it's a magical time for them I mean we see them and they're so ready now you know they're ready for the next step and you know it's fantastic and that's you know the thanks to the the e c c scheme now where all children get two years preschool. So it really prepares them. I mean, it's fantastic.
5: Are they really more is. ready for it than Mammy is or Daddy?
16: Always the case. Always the case. And we see it from transition from home to preschool. We see it and the mom is upset and the child is, bye, mom, I'll see you later. Yeah. And it's the exact same when it comes to starting junior infants. And I always say to the parents, even if you're feeling anxious or upset, hide it hide it from them and yeah. then go out to the car and have a cry or you know but just don't let the child pick up on it like that's so important yeah. because they sense it from their parents and if the mom is worried and anxious the child is mm, okay
5: yeah. maybe
16: this is how I should feel wh- Where wh- is Why not? is Mammy
5: not happy? I'm sab- exactly. I'm happy I have new friends I have all this lovely colourful thing around me this wonderful <laughs> this why thing- is Mammy crying?
16: Exactly and then the the kids, we really underestimate how much children sense from us, you know, so I say put on a brave smile and the kids are ready and it's just, it's a wonderful time and I certainly see it here in in and Brittany, the Bukali school that I work in, the principal is out of the gate, the teachers are out, it's it's exciting, you know, there's nothing negative or you know, sad about it. It's it's a magical time, and it, it really is. And I always say to parents, try and involve the children as much as you can mm-hmm. in preparation. So going buying the school bag together and the lunch box, and you know these lovely fun things to do together, and yeah. just keep it as positive and happy as they possibly can. You know.
5: Yeah, yeah. A lot of parents, I think, they like you said before. Like I said, they're more worried. Than the child is
16: absolutely, absolutely, and it's particularly hard as well. We say first-time parents; you know, they've not done this before, they've not sent their child to national school before. But you know, I I can't stress enough the importance of preschool. Like we have children inside now, and they will be, you know, five. They're solid. They're ready. They're you know they know how to sit and wait their turn. They know to go into the bathroom, look after themselves. You know, we've all that ready for them. For when they're starting in mm. September, so they're they're well ready now. The children, I mean, with the ECC scheme, as I said, you know, they get two full years of preschool. So sure, by the time we have them ready in June, we do a little graduation ceremony. They're saying, "See you, teacher. I'm 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 done with you now. I'm ready for this Thanks. <laughs> you know, they're well ready.
5: What about the worried parents that's coming? You, you know, the the nice safe preschool coming I to an know,
16: end. I know, I know. What, what and, do you say to them? It is hard because, you know, our our methods of teaching is very different to when they go to primary school. You know, we're very play-based and we'd, be, we'd have a great relationship with the parents. But at the same time, you know, they have enough of that and then by the time they're five and they're ready, you know, to have a bit more structure. And the junior infant teachers are fantastic. And there is still a lot of fun in infants. You know, I taught in a primary school myself years ago, so I've been on both sides. But there's still so much fun and play in infants. You know, they transition them well that it's not just cut off completely. And I see our infants here, so they're having a ball. They, they couldn't be happier. And they, they kind of don't even know me by October, you know, when I'm saying, <laughs> hi, and they're like, mm, you know, you're at preschool. We knew you, so, you know, <laughs> knew you one time. I knew you one time. You know, I'm not, I'm too cool for you now. But no, they're fantastic. And... You know, I always say to parents, if you have a child that is a little bit upset in September, and that's very hard. It's very hard to hand your little one in and the tears are pouring down their face. But, you know, allow the infant teacher to do her job and settle the child. And they'd have methods and they're doing it a long time. Yeah. You know, I mean, in, in 15 years I'm teaching, I have never not settled a child. Yeah. You
5: know, and... Do you, do you know the way, mom and dad, but mom kind of knows, okay, this is what he needs and, and he has to have to... And, and It's all right. We've done this it's before. It's all right. There's nothing, we there's nothing we haven't seen.
16: And there's nothing phases us as teachers, nothing. You know, we've seen it all and they'll manage. So if you forget something, don't worry. You know, you get settled and you'll form the routine. And, you know, I always say from a preschool's perspective, what's great is if parents, you know, get, we'd say, shoes that the child can tie, a lunchbox that they can open, a drink bottle that they can open, because then the child is in infants and they're not, you know, struggling with, you know, their own care and their own needs. So things little things like that make a big difference. So I I couldn't stress enough the importance of getting things that they can manage themselves. Mm.
5: Okay. All right. And don't be afraid to talk to the Montessori or Play School teacher about what the child does.
16: Absolutely. And what's great now is, you know, national schools because, you know, restrictions have lifted, open days are happening again. So children now are getting to go in and see the classroom and meet the teacher and meet the principal so it's wonderful that that sense is, you know, the bit of normality is coming back, you know, which is great. So okay. at least, you know, they get a good sense of infants. And, you know, parents shouldn't worry. It's a magical time and it's it's such a happy time for the children. Okay. It really is.
5: All right. I know you've got some children to sort out in a few seconds down, so I'll let you go. Sinead, thank you. That's Sinead Hennessy from Spritnave.com. At Montessori. They're getting ready now for, that, for this particular bunch to graduate Montessori and head off to, to big school. Now, there's a term I wonder, should I use? It was always used with great affection. We're going to big school now. Uh, Dr. Mary O'Kane, who's been on the Opinion Line with me before, uh, has lecturer in psychology and education. And I think, Mary, you did, you actually did your PhD on this big time in in children's Lives, the movement from the preschool to. Should we use the word or the term big school? Good morning.
9: Oh, morning, PJ. I'm laughing here listening to Sinead. I second everything she has just said. And I know what you mean about big school. Funny, I use big school, PJ, but I know a lot of people don't like it. And they say, oh, you know, the words big school. You know, The kids get it all summer and they're thinking, oh, this is such a big step ahead of me. But you know what I found, PJ, when I was doing my research? A lot of the kids themselves talk about, I'm going to big school. And in their head, they kind of know this is a real Rite of passage that I think a lot of them kind of say it with pride. So it's mm. one of those terms that you can, people either like or they don't like, but I have to say I don't mind it at all. I really don't.
5: So sometimes I think, and I was saying it to Sinead, sometimes I wonder are the parents more uptight than the smallies? <laughs>
9: Oh PJ I, I again I agree with Sinead I think we are funny when I was when I was back doing the research on on this transition and I spoke to loads of preschool practitioners I was talking to teachers and I followed a group of kids over a year when they were starting and um, from when the summer before they started through the junior infant year and it was funny do you know what I found happened a lot maybe in towards the end of preschool parents suddenly start to think about academics because the parents start to get anxious and they start to think oh are they really ready? You know, they should be able to write their name and they should be able to read and they should be able to do all these things. The focus turned to academics. And one of the things I really found was, let that go. Forget about academics. But when I was talking to the teachers and the preschool practitioners... They were all absolutely in agreement. The stuff that matters is all the social and emotional stuff, like their self-esteem and their independence and communication skills and even friendships, you know. And so I would say to parents, over the summer focus on that stuff, you know, focus on encouraging them to feel strong and capable, you know, trying to help them develop their own little problem-solving skills and decision-making skills. We mm-hmm. tend sometimes to do everything for them, PJ, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, step back from the child a bit, you know, mm-hmm. and it's all that sort of stuff that I found was really important.
5: This, the people that they're going to meet in school have done all this before. They've seen it all before. You know, they they know what they're doing. And like you said, with regard to the academics, I have heard that conversation with friends of mine with younger children. Oh, God, I'm worried about her now because she she, she can't write her name yet. It doesn't have her ACBCs yet. And I turned around to a friend and I would never mention their name. I said, it isn't a master's. It's junior infants. (laughs) You know, it'd be grand. That is
9: exactly it. Yeah. (laughs) Funny, PJ, do you know what the teachers were saying to me? They were saying parents sometimes, they, they panic. They really worry about academics. And they said, no... In order to be successful, in order to learn what the teachers felt they needed, was they needed all these social skills. So they were saying to me, if they come into the classroom and they can communicate their needs, like say there's something wrong, they need to be able to tell teacher, going to the bathroom, PJ, that was a big one. You know, they need to have not only the language to say, but the confidence to tell the teacher, teacher, I need to go to the bathroom. If they have that little bit of self-esteem, so they kind of feel, no, you know what, I'm so this place is okay. You know, I'm gonna be okay here. A little bit of independence that they they have. And again, as Sinead said, the kids who've had two years of preschool, they are are set up because preschool practitioners are brilliant at what we call scaffolding children. And that means they, they see where a child is. And I think, OK, I'm like the scaffolding on a building. I'm kind of supporting this child to be the best they can be. And then I step back. So they've had two years preparation. And I'd say to parents, can of do the same thing over the summer? You, instead of doing everything for them, really think to yourself, you know what? That's why I'm going to see myself. I'm the scaffolding on the building. I give them support when they need it. But if they're able to do something, let them. Them do it. Look, It might take longer and they might not do as good a job as you might do but all the stuff that they can do really encourage them to be independent. Mm.
5: A lot of parents worry, Mary, uh, particularly if a child's birthday is, say, January or February, you know, should they go to school when they're four or should they wait until they're five? Do people waste a lot of brain space on that? Does it actually matter?
9: Well, if I'm really honest, PJ, I would always encourage parents now that we have the two-year achieve scheme you know the three preschool years well I mean part year now that we we actually have two years of that now so I would say to parents I would always say and it's just as Sinead was saying at that age group they learn best through play so they really are better taking a second year in preschool and because they're in that environment where they're exploring, they're learning in that way. And it just means that they're that little bit more mature, that they're that little bit more confident. Do you know what a lot of parents have said to me, PJ, they, they, um, they sometimes they're not sure what to do for junior infants. Mm. And then when the child is making the transition to secondary school or when they're coming out of school, they think, oh, I'm really glad now that they have that little bit more maturity. Mm. Um, so I think it's kind of one of those decisions that I would say, if you can, Leave them another year. Now, yeah. having said that, PJ, you know, if a parent is unsure, talk to your preschool practitioner. They know your child so well that mm. they will they will help you and advise you. Yeah.
5: Is five better than four?
9: I would in all honesty, PJ, I've been researching this area for years and put it this way, mine went when they were five, like, or just about five. Yes, I think my view is the older the better, you know, definitely. But if you, even if you think about those skills I was talking about, like, Really, being that bit independent, good self-esteem, and um, those communication skills, their language, all this sort of stuff, they have an extra year mm. to practice all this stuff. Mm. So they're they're acquiring all these skill sets that are going to be so useful to them. Mm. Um, and and the, the stronger they are in those areas, the more likely they are, you know, to fly. And actually, PJ, I must say, I I'm going to pop up on Facebook this evening advice on all these areas and how parents can support their kids over the summer and um, because the summer is the time to to really work on developing all their social and emotional stuff.
5: I think what I am hearing from both yourself and Shane though very importantly is let them be kids and let them oh, find yes. their own groove.
9: Oh, PJ, that's exactly it. Actually, can I just say one other thing? And it's about letting them be kids. It's so good and really useful. Get parents to play, pretend play school with their kids and you join in, but let the child be the teacher. PJ, it's so much fun. They get to practice with their lunchbox and their school bag and all the rest, but you learn so much about what they're expecting at school. It's really, really good fun. And that's what this should be about. You know, they're at the time of their lives, but they're learning to play. It's a bit of fun. And you know what? They're after two years of preschool, they're ready.
5: Okay. All right. Good speaking to you, as always, on the opinion line, Dr. Mary O'Kane, who's a lecturer in psychology and education of children and did her her actual PhD on this particular transition time. Good advice. And thank you also to Sinead Hennessy at uh, nave Montessori. Have you got a child coming up for this particular transition? Just relax. it be grand. You're more worried about it than they'll ever be. I think that's the message I'm definitely getting. 0818 96
3: 96 96. Can we just talk?
5: Opinion
2: line on Cork's 96 FM
3: with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at corkcitymarathon.ie.
5: Cork's 96 FM. Somebody expressed the view with the last couple of weeks to me. we just chatting. You know, isn't it great that COVID is now in the rear view mirror? At least, you know, for the most part, anyway. COVID is now in the, the rear view mirror. And then says so he, what do we get coming up ahead of us at ninety miles an hour on a war in flipping Ukraine? Like you're you're no sooner are you kind of out the gap with regard to one crisis than you're staring another one straight in the face. Now now this kind of links back to what we were talking about earlier on with regard to, you know, you're recalibrating your reality and worrying only about what you can control but we have had tremendously challenging times and in association with that, the, the, the Good People Carries are running a series of open days at their new premises in Klein. and they're going to help to promote self-belief courage confidence and kind of help us to build ourselves back up and maybe redevelop our resilience and teach ourselves again to just worry about what actually matters. And today, starting their series of Open Days, they have none other than Pat Falvey. Pat, good morning.
4: Morning, PJ. Always great to be back on the program.
5: And and great to have you, Pat. We have had just an interesting conversation I had a couple of weeks like ago with Like No sooner is Is he there? Check that there for me. Fiona, I think he may have dropped. So having a series of these events and Pat is meeting um, with them today to talk about his own experience and and how he has, you know, fostered resilience in, in himself and how they can do it. Pat, this conversation I had a few weeks ago, like... No sooner is COVID in the rearview mirror than we've a blasted war on and and we're all worried about supply chain and we're all worried about this, that and the other and prices and the cost of living and they're all important things. But it's like we're about to take another battering. We have to learn to yeah to focus on what matters, don't we?
4: Yeah, we actually have to have monastic patience, right? Okay, in the sense, like all of this will pass. Like everything in the like that has gone before us has passed. You know what's happening at the moment, which is very sad, is people getting. And I listened to your uh, article or your thing there like, earlier. Everyone now is getting caught up with the fear, and a lot of the fear is eighty percent, you know, imaginary. And you know, people are thinking it's nearly the end of the world. Nothing will ever be the same again. We felt the same in two thousand and eight, by the way. So I suppose carriers have done a great job in the sense of, as uh, a leading industry people, right, okay, to bring this forward and to hopefully help people, because that's what it's all about. It's the same as myself. All it is is about people, if they have fear or anything like that, is to actually reinvigorate the positive attitudes that is required to get through these horrible, horrible, horrible times. Um, and. Like, I, I know I'm on with you today, but I think um, Carries are there on next Friday at about 11 o'clock, but they're starting a whole series on their open day at 7.30 in the DuCline plant, you know, that they have there. So, yeah, resilience, you know, uh, it's about people talking it out. It's about people not being afraid, because what's happening is we're going into an industry. I have hundreds and hundreds of people now, you know, coming to me in relation to their negativity, and what we've got to drive forward, not alone for them, but for their kids and for the people surrounding them, is we have to bring it back to the reality that, you know, we are OK. We're, we're doing OK. Now, it might be the best that we've ever had, but it is a hell of a lot better than most people in the world. And if we can bring that positivity back and help each other, that's the other thing. We have to help each other to get over this.
5: Yeah, it is hard to be positive, though, and it has been hard to be positive over the last couple of years. And I think, you know, the worry about a war happening a few hours away by plane and the refugees pouring in that we're trying as best we can to help. The worry about all that, we'd handle it a lot better if we weren't coming out of the back of a crisis that affected tens of thousands of us before. We're a bit bashed up, Pat, from this.
4: We are. And and there's nothing wrong with actually feeling bashed up in other words, like it's it's OK to feel down. But the problem is, is that if you're constantly feeling down and not seeing, you know, uh, a monistic kind of future, like in the sense it will get better, all we're going to do is we're going to go into that spiral where we will go below that glass half full. And the problem with a lot of people, and I'm not saying everybody, is that if we allow ourselves get there, then in actual fact, it's going to be very hard to come back out of it, even when, even when things pick up. And, you know, there's a great um, analogy I I spoke about before that my mother told me about actually as a community. And remember, we're an Irish community. We're an international community. But it's the story my mother told me about the Special Olympians, you know, like about how we're all different. And they all trained for four years. And they started at the starting line. And this is the way we should be as a family, as a unit, as coming together in relation to our mental health. And what happened is the gun went off and one girl fell. And then everyone went, oh, my God, because this was disastrous in, 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 in their kind of field at the time. And the second last year went back and she picked her up. And then the other six stopped and they all forfeited their gold, silver and bronze. They all linked hands and they all came across the winning line together and they all got a gold medal. Well, I'm going to tell you this. I'm so proud of the way a lot of the countries in the world are reacting to all the different crises we're having. You know, mm-hmm. even in the Ukraine here, like we are actually an amazing country, even though like we're in the height of crap. Like we're out there and we're helping others to actually come across that winning line together. And that will pay off for all of us at the end of the day. And I'm not taking it away for anyone. And that's the reason why these events that Kerry's are holding are indeed like, you know, that's if there's anyone in trouble, I always say, just give me a ring. And I'll see if it's a case we can bring back in some sort of reality Into a situation that is probably crap, Mm. but if we don't look forward to the future and help each other, look, this is what you're doing. This is how you're involved, PJ. Like we're we're trying to say to people, yes, it is shite, but in other words, like we're here, and if we come together and you know be grateful even for what we have, even though it is crap, Mm. and I understand that it is crap, but. You know, we are very fortunate in another way. And I know it's very, very hard for a lot of people to see this after COVID, to see it after, like, the Ukraine war, the prices going up. Mm. But working together, helping each other, you know, seeing that the fact that there is a future, we've had these things before, we will get over it. But the most important thing is not to stay in the doldrum all the time. And lots of people have been in there now for nearly two years and going into the Ukraine war as well.
5: You and I have talked many times, Pat, and you've told me more than once your own personal story, which I'm, we won't go into it again. But you yourself hit the bottom at one point, And it was a call from a friend to, to drag you out walking that started it. But from that moment, you realized that buried deep within yourself was an ability you didn't even realize you had. And I think your message from that day to this, Pat, is we all have that.
4: We all have that innate resilience. We all have that ability to pull back from the brink. And, you know, my dad said to me years and years ago, and he, like his, it was his anniversary yesterday, his 12 months dead, but one of the great, th- yeah, One of the great things he said, and I, I'd ask people to take note of this, when the shit hits the fan, see it hits the fan, Right, My dad, when I tried to take my life through suicide, he gave me a great bit of advice. He said, Pat, you're broke. Pat, you're absolutely shattered. The banks are going to try to take your family home from you and everything. Will you just accept it? And he said, by acceptance, he said, no, that's the worst it can get. And then, like, and everything, that something bad happened, I accepted the worst. And he said, once you accept the worst, the only way that it can get is better. Mm-hmm. So what is the worst that can happen to us in relation to what's happening at the moment. Yeah, we might have less money, we might be you know, suffering depression or some of our families, but it's then by the whole thing of these unsung heroes that everybody has around them. Yeah. And that's including like, what you're doing here today, the family. The family, which is one of the most amazing units, have people's backs. And if they don't have their backs, that's what people like me and you are there for is to have their backs. And when they look for help, it's to give it give it. And that's what I'm really enjoying about being there with Carries. And if they're giving out a hundred of my books, I think free, you have the power. And I'll be there to sign it at about eleven o'clock. On Friday morning. Mm. And if anyone is there, anyone wants advice, anyone just wants to come along for a bit of a cheer up, right? Okay. Mm. Like, I'd hope to meet them there. But thank you and, and the station for actually recognizing that we have to help our community to live a better, healthier, sustainable life and to help the mental attitude of people.
5: Yeah. And I read your book when you brought it out, and I often de- delve into it now and again for maybe a, a couple of minutes to, to read. And there are many little, I guess, learned wisdom in there, Pat, and I recommend your, your, your book to anybody. And we have to tell ourselves, I remember when COVID was at its worst uh, and we were all locked up in our houses and we couldn't go out and the pubs were closed and people were sick and we were worried about our loved ones and trying to mind them. You had to tell yourself, this too shall pass. And with all the worries of the war and the price of petrol and the price of this and the price of that, this too shall pass because, like you said, 2008, when the arse fell out of everything, that too passed.
4: Yeah, and someone of mine in your age, uh, PJ, we've gone through a number of these things. Like, So we're probably learning that it will pass. It's very hard for a young couple to can't is. get a rented accommodation, yes. that actually the price of houses are soaring. But at the same time, it will actually work out. Sometimes, you know, we may not get it exactly the way that we want to, but, you know, seek help, ask for help, talk, you know, don't keep it all bottled up. Don't, don't get into a, a doldrum. And remember, and I've learned this about fear. 80% of all the fear that you, that, that that is there, that you feel is imaginary. You will get through it, provided that you tackle it, you know, a bit at a time, right? Okay. And just start picking it out. And also remember also remember, it's okay not to be okay. but it is not okay not to be okay all of the time, because you will destroy your life, seek help. And in you have the power book, like exploring the mindset that you need to stay positive. Like I understand like what people say to me, "How the F and where hell like? Uh, can we stay positive in these times, right? And I agree with it. It, it, it may be a case that y- 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 you have to have a bit of this reluctance. But if you don't actually start getting back and go into that downward storm without seeking help and hanging around with people that are positive, that's one of the most important things. If you ha- you're the average of the five people you hang around with, if you're constantly hanging around with someone to tell you it's the end of the earth, nothing will ever get better. And I often tell a story like and it's about to ch- change the time, right? Mm-hmm. But this had to do with kids. It had actually, I, I was doing this project with kids, you know, that were in regenerated schools. And this girl, she was a, an exorcist, a Captain McCreasy. She's a friend of mine. She wrote to me afterwards. And I, I, it was when before an the Exorcist? Four, Yeah, the kids of today, right, don't appreciate their parents half as much as the kids of the the past, and they get far too much, right? And this is about the aspect of of how the world circulates, right? And I was going, yeah, 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 like you know, and I was saying about my own kids, and I was saying it, and then I looked at the end of it, and it was said by Aristotle two thousand years ago, (laughs) and it's the same with recessions. It's the same with the ups and downs. We are. You out there only are on this planet for an average of 80 years. 50% of everyone that's here will be dead by the time they're 80, 50% will be geriatrics, right? If you're out there at the moment, your responsibility, I'm a Buddhist by philosophy, your responsibility is to lead the best life that you possibly can. And not alone that, but to pass that to to the next generation, your kids. And, you know, I, I am here to help anybody, if it's a case, I can, to actually lead a better, healthy, sustainable life. That's what I do every day in my life. You know, my Buddhist philosophy said I am here on this planet to help others and to have a vision of life. Now, I'm not saying I'm right all the time. And I'm definitely not right all the time. But my job is to help people to live a better, healthy, sustainable life. And in that, you have to look after your mental health. And to do that, you need people to have your back. And family are the first port to call. Community is next because we are a tribe here in Mm Cork. We are a Cork tribe. And then, you know, there is the general community after that. Okay.
5: Pat, you'll be in, Terry, like you said, 7.30 Friday.
4: 7.30 Friday, they're starting. There's a great array of stuff there. Like, they have the power tools and I have the power. So they're giving away the power, like you have the power book. So, look, if you're there really enjoy it. And the other thing is Carey's is a a Cork family, an amazing family. And by the way, just to tell you, like their father actually helped me out when I went broke and I was despaired and I tried to take my own life through suicide. Joe Carey, or Mr. Carey, I always call him, was there to give me a helping hand and to have my back. And I'm so grateful to that to this day. So see you there on Friday. If you're there, if you're not, you know, look onto the website and sign onto the newsletters. i will be there to help anyone that needs help. So thank you very much.
5: PJ. always a joy Good to have season. you on the programme always a pleasure to have Pat Falvey on the programme 0818 96, 96, 96 on schools shouldn't speak any more highly about Sinead and Ita out in Skullsbury nave, Montessori, fabulous people fabulous school, my third girl is finishing secondary in a few weeks only turning 18 this month young, but her schooling most definitely helped her maturing to be able to progress very well it's up to the child really whether they're able or not, I can honestly say it was my favourite part of the day: collecting them and getting all the news. School years fly by; enjoy every moment. Thanks for that. 0818 96, 96, 96.
3: The Giving for Living Radiothon, May
5: twenty-six to twenty-eighth, only on
3: Corks ninety-six FM. I'll be there.
5: Yeah, we're only about a week and a bit away now. 26th May, we all start with the Giving for Living Radiothon, raising funds for Cork Cancer Services. We need you to help us organize your coffee break. Do it at home. Do it at school. Do it at work. Uh, fill a change collector box. Get a jam jar or a bucket if you haven't got an actual box. Wear your jersey on Friday, 27th. Wherever you are, wear your jersey. And you can sign up for a fundraising pack right now at 96fm.ie. Join us 6am, 26th May for the Cork's 96fm Giving for Living Radiothon only on Cork's 96fm. That's it. We are done for today. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. See you tomorrow just after nine.
1: Can we just talk?
3: The
2: Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
3: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.